Hello, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Modern Workplace Hacks podcast. My name is Tom Freer, and today I'm joined by Jonathan Mamerell, who's the director of MB Lawyers. They're a specialist law firm working for employers and working things like employment law, commercial law, and property law. Today's discussion, we're talking about how COVID and JobKeeper have affected the job market and the way that in, that businesses need to consider retrenchments and restructuring and those sort of legal things um, specifically related to employees, how this has changed the landscape and some of those things that need to be looked at. It's a really interesting chat, good insights, and I hope you enjoy it. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Modern Workplace Hacks podcast. My name is Tom Freer, and today I'm joined by special guest Jonathan Mamerill from NB Lawyers, Lawyers for Employers. I think I got that right. Yes, you did, mate. Thanks. How are you going? Good. How are you? Yes, good. I'm, I'm doing very well. Mate, um, thank you for joining us. Um, I think we had a really good conversation a couple of weeks ago um, leading into this. But look, can you tell the listeners a little bit about yourself? Yeah. Um, so uh, my name is Jonathan. I'm a principal and director with uh, NB Lawyers, the Lawyers for Employers. Um, I had the employment law and uh, commercial law teams. Um, and we specialize in those two areas as well as uh, property law. Um, in particular, in terms of the employment law side, um, my background is in the trade union movement. So I actually used to work as a union organizer, an industrial officer uh, on the other side uh, prior to going into private practice over here at Envy uh, Lawyers. So um, that unique background gives me a a little bit more of a practical understanding that I can provide to clients, um, especially in situations where um, it's a little bit more complex or troublesome. Yeah, so that would give you a bit of an inside running, I guess, how the the trade, uh, the unions operate, and all that sort of things, and how to um, how to help people throughout that process. Because that in itself can be pretty tricky. Oh, absolutely, um, and and sometimes it can be quite strategic. So uh, for a number of organisations, especially in really um, hot uh, organised uh, or union organised areas, uh, such as uh, construction, mining, uh, manufacturing, uh, you know, in, in councils, for example, it's a, it can be really difficult to traverse um, the, the union strategies. Uh, and so my background not just being on the ground, I was on the ground as well, not just um, as a, an industrial officer, but on the ground as well, understanding how the mechanics uh, work around um, a trade union mm-hmm. uh, gives me a really unique un- unique insight so that clients can have a bit of practical understanding of how it works, um, not just a pure corporate or commercial outlook. Theoretical understanding, this is, yeah, this is actually what happens and why it happens, I guess, that's probably the, the big thing. Because that can cause a lot of confusion, I guess, as an employer sitting there going, I just don't understand why these sort of things are happening. Oh, especially if you're uh, an organisation that is starting to dip your toes into, uh, you know, bigger projects, uh, more government projects, more council projects. It's completely understandable uh, that you may may well get confused uh, you know, dealing with enterprise agreements as opposed to not just modern awards. Uh, it can be quite a difficult and, and, and to be honest, quite tiresome um, issue to deal with. So 
the legal issues that sort of pop out of there um, may not actually make necessarily commercial sense. Um, but sometimes there's much more of a longer game or even a campaign or even a strategy on the other side that uh, the organisation that might be the client yep. uh, may, not, may not even be um, a big part of that, but mm. their involvement is uh, integral to that campaign. Yeah, right. Well, we could talk trade unions for a while, I guess, but that's that's not really why we're here. <laughs> and I thought um, one of the things we discussed and, and were chatting about was sort of coming out of the tail end of this whole COVID scenario. Yeah. And look, there's still a few months to play out and where all that f- with JobKeeper and JobSeeker and all the bits associated with it. But one of the things that I actually hadn't thought about, um, which you mentioned, which I'd love to, to sort of talk about, is that aspect of the potential for these unfair dismissal style claims now starting to arise where businesses were in a situation not necessarily knowing what's going to happen trying to do whatever it took to get through that that period and and now there's this potential risk that they might be facing so i'd I'd love to get your insights into into that and what you're seeing and so we can talk about some of the things people could could start to look at and consider i guess yeah well The, I think the anecdotal evidence and what we're experiencing with our clients are backed up by what the Commission, have, um, the Fair Work Commission, have actually released in terms of the, their results. So um, I believe it was a, a July report or maybe a June report, so not even the most up-to-date report, um, saw a significant increase in unfair dismissal claims, and I believe it was a quadruple increase in wow. gen- general protections claims. So... We're talking massive increases uh, in, you know, purely termination of employment uh, claims. Okay, yes, there might be a few things there around stand down and, um, you know, people are still technically employed, but on the whole, uh, quite a number of uh, claims around that termination of employment. And if you think about it, you know, where is it coming from? Well, you know, the cases, what we're seeing sort of pretty much uh, rounded out to maybe a couple of points. So I think the big, the first big one has been the testing of whether redundancy is genuine. So organisations have made the changes that they've had to make uh, to keep the, the organisation float, but there's been a test of whether the redundancy is actually genuine. So when, um, when you say test, is that a test from fair work essentially? Well, it's really a test. process you go through? Well, it's really a test from the other side, uh, yeah. from, from the employee and the employee advocates and, and lawyers, really, um, testing the the, the, the the reasoning or the rationale behind how the employer can justify the redundancy is genuine. Right. So, like, a good, good example is um, we were involved in a, um, a matter where we were defending um, and this is a public decision, um, Lone Pine Koala Sanctuary. Um, they had defended a matter where an employee was testing whether the redundancy was genuine. They came up with a really interesting argument. And the interesting argument was essentially, and look, they had a number of arguments, but one argument that they actually had was that the actual business decision of making the employee redundant, you know, the business decision, yep. um, was actually wrong and therefore because it was a bad business decision the redundancy could not be genuine okay so that was one that's interesting yeah right interesting argument and and no and look it failed 
that that failed and we were able to to justify that and and the and the, the judge was very clear and and said you know whether a business has made a bad or a good decision around making employees redundant is not the point the point is yeah it's the position um the position no longer required to be worked by anyone and that's what they look at um yeah and so you know so for employees that uh they were in that situation they were testing it because they just they disagreed with the the decision making process of the business if it went the other way, that could have been potentially problematic for a number of businesses. Well, I would have thought that could have been a real a real issue in yes. that that sort of brings into question the decision-making process of a business owner and business leaders, and and no one really knows what's going to happen. So to, to, I guess, rule on a bad decision being enough to go in the favour of an employee, that's that's quite concerning. So it's, it's interesting to know. I mean, that's an interesting test case, I guess. Well, I suppose the thing about that case is that, you know, you still have to um, set out for the commission, you know, very clearly why this particular position that's been made redundant can no longer be required to work by anyone. And in some ways you are putting a business case. You know, it yeah. might be that there's no, no more tourists coming in. Um, you know, the, the, the market has, has shrunk significantly almost overnight. Um, you've got government directives. Like there's, you know, in a way, you're still building a business case. Uh, so that doesn't really change. You know, the the how it's going to be reshaped, how it's going to look like the new uh, organisational structure. That's still going. That's not going to change. Mm. But I think where the other side were trying to get at was more that the decision itself. You know, it was a bad yeah. business decision, and uh, therefore, yeah. you know, it can't be a um, a genuine uh, redundancy. So. Yeah. Thankfully, thankfully, the, the judge yeah. saw, judge saw reason, and um, you know, and, and that's good because that allows business to, you know, make whatever decisions they make in terms yeah. of restructuring, they can still make as long as they can, of course, uh, you know, say uh, and set out that there's genuineness to it. Um, yeah. Whatever decision they make is a decision and, for them. And what's the process? I suppose this is sort of a helpful hint for for some of our listeners. What's that process of um, I'm sure there's a lot of technicalities in it, but you're going through a business restructure mm-hmm. and at, at the highest level, legitimately you go, well, that role is no longer needed in what we're doing moving forward. So that becomes essentially a redundant position, which yeah. is when you play out that redundancy process. Yes. But you have to show, I guess, the, the structuring and the reasons and the why behind that. Yeah. So in the background, the board, the executive, the HR team need to be aware that that potentially will need to be shown and set out before a judge. Yeah. And it's very important to understand that because if you do understand that, then all your documentation will be absolutely right, will be absolutely right. perfect because you know that a judge will be looking at it at some point in time. Mm. Um, and if you keep that mindset in place, then you'll do much better they're an organisation that, you know, wants to hastily make that decision and then puts that onto the HR team or the executive team and says, okay, just execute it. Yeah. If you plan it out, you'll be in a much better position. And and I, and I say this many times because this happens all the time. When it comes to redundancy processes, it's actually not overly difficult, the, the actual process itself. So, 
if they're if they're an award employee, they the covered under the modern award, for example, there will be usually a consultation process. Okay, that's not overly difficult to do. Um, there are some inherent risks to that. Um, for example, one issue that does come up a bit is an employee may go on a work cover claim or something in between that time. Unfortunately, that may happen. Uh, but in terms of that process, that's relatively easy. Uh, the second part I would say about the redundancy process, if they're not, if they're award free. So, and remember, there's also policies, there might be a policy around it, there might be an enterprise agreement. But yeah. if they're award free, then yes, you, you don't necessarily, or sorry, you're not legally obliged to have the consultation process. But if you do, then you then are able to um, set out really for the judge natural justice and procedural fairness. Yeah, this is how we went through it. This is why we went through it. This is the discussion we had. This is the yeah the agreement we came to and and that type of thing. Yeah. So where's that? Um, where's this now playing out in this in this current environment? Because I'm guessing there's a lot of organisations that have gone right and and made these decisions. I would imagine really, really fast because this was a very fast changing sort of situation and a lot of unknowns. So they've either terminated or made in positions redundant. And I guess now that's starting to come back and sort of be questioned. Yeah, um, and, and they are. They have been. Um, we're, we're seeing a number of. Uh, so unfair dismissal is probably the easiest one um, because for an employment, and look, there is a high income threshold of 148,000 or something along those lines um, a year. So anyone that sort of, you know, has got that, got less than that, it's a much yeah. easier claim. Um, really, there's, there's three elements to it, unfair, unjust, or unreasonable. Okay. Um, but for an employer, it's actually a little bit easier to deal with. Um, you know, unfair, dis <clears throat> unfair dismissal claims, um, they... They have a limit on on the payout, so it's up to six up to six months' pay. Because uh, mm -hmm. the primary remedy is actually reinstatement, um, right? And it stays in the commission, so it stays in the fair work commission. It's it you know the fair work commission is still a layperson's tribunal technically, so you know the issue around costs is not really um, not really there. Okay. Um, where we're seeing a number more claims is general protections. And that's a really difficult one to overcome for a number of um, employers because, well, firstly, it's a little bit more complicated to get your hand around. Yeah. Um, so, what what is what is general protections? I guess that's yeah. Okay, it's it's that's a good question because uh, general protections is and I'll and I'll try and break this down as, mm. as succinctly as possible. So, it's when a, an employer um, takes adverse action against uh, an employee because of exercise or proposed exercise of workplace right. Um, now, there's, there are actually a number of other what they call general protections. That is the main one, but there's mm -hmm. others such as discrimination and there's a few others, uh, sham contracting and and, um, and there's some other, um, I suppose, more industrial uh, union related. Um, so that might be like the, the discrimination might be, I feel I've been discriminated against by getting fired or something like that. That becomes a general protection. Yeah, on on a, on, a, on an on an employee. Yeah, yeah. So the employee might say, for example, you didn't fire me because I wasn't very good at my job, or I was underperforming, or I didn't have the skills that I said I had. Um, you fired me because of my my religion. Yeah. You fired me because of my gender. 
or you fired me because of my family responsibilities. That's okay. That's that's a protection. Right. Yep. Um, another one, and we're seeing a lot of this, is um, the the with the with the general protection. So adverse action is relatively relatively easy to to prove. So that's just termination of employment. Mm -hmm. um, workplace right is a right under a workplace law. So workplace law, of course, is a Fair Work Act, Workplace Health and Safety Act, um, Discrimination Act. Um, those are, are workplace laws, mm -hmm. um, although it does exclude contracts, employment contracts. So it does it, you know, just having an employment contract doesn't give you a workplace right under the okay. general protections, uh, you know, um, and it's that's well established. Um, but then the, the big the big part is because so the, the causal link and that's where there, there, there is an issue on both sides okay so for example you, you might say sorry an employee might say uh, or argue um, you fired me uh, because I um, I said that I was a, a particular religious persuasion and you made a comment that was negative about that, and the next thing I know, the next day I've been fired. Right. Yeah. Okay. So yep. they've established that there's a workplace, there's adverse action. They've established there's a workplace right, and they've established that there's a causal link. You know, in terms of essentially time. Okay. Yep. Uh, now, what happens at that point once they establish those three elements, it, the onus of proof reverses to the employer to disprove those three uh -huh. points that's where the difficulty lies for a number of employers um, and the big thing about general protections there's a couple of big issues with it so there's that there's that issue there's an issue around the um so if you go to the fair work commission you get a conciliation conference basically mediation however if it doesn't settle it goes to the federal court or the federal circuit court and the federal circuit court that means uh, rules of evidence and that means potentially barristers, definitely right. lawyers, and much more higher standard around um, defending the claim. Wow. But the big one, Tom, is the penalties. That's the significant. So the penalties are significant for the company mm -hmm. per breach, all right? But the big one is um, an employee can also sue an individual involved in the breach. Right, okay, jeez. So to give you an example, directors have been sued, obviously. That yep. makes sense. Yep. Board members, that makes sense. Okay. You've got CEOs and executives, makes sense. CFOs, okay. But you've also had HR managers. Getting HR person personally sued. Personally sued. HR consultants. Wow. You've had accountants, internal accounts, external accountants. You've had managers, just just the, the next line manager. You've had the supervisor. You've had a number of people being sued and successfully sued personally. Wow, and that's on the, and that's like now, like happening now out of the back of what what we've seen. Yeah, it's it's been look that's been happening for a while, but yeah, that's definitely a huge ace up the sleeve for employees wow. because they can run the gauntlet. If you think about it, if you've got a company that's got you know uh, five board members three directors and yeah. five shareholders and you can just add to the list hr manager hr coordinator 
You know, you could just bang, bang, what, bang. I bang. mean, yeah, okay. So rules they've of law. Yeah. In the breach. They've got to be involved in the breach. Yeah. So that that's true. But, um, you know, for example, if a board makes a decision about terminating someone's employment, right, right, it's everyone they're involved, involved in the yeah. breach. Yeah. So, and, and that's happened. Yeah. That's, and successfully. Successfully. Okay. So where's, I mean, I'm going to ask this from a, at what point, I mean, obviously, as employers, we all have a responsibility to make sure we're, we're doing this this right. But are there limitations? Are we talking bigger corporates? Are this small business? Is this where, did, where where is this happening? There are some protections for smaller businesses. Um, so, for example, there is a small business dismissal code for um, employers that have less than fifteen staff. Mm-hmm. But you've got to follow that code. So it's not a yeah, still still a yeah yeah so. But that is a full defence if you follow that dismissal code. Um, and there is, uh, in that code, you do have um, uh, some help help around misconduct for sure, absolutely, and and performance management to some extent as well, or performance yeah. as well. For organisations that are larger than 15, which there are a lot of, uh, mm-hmm. so essentially you're getting outside of that small business realm um, and even, you know, sort of your SME market, and definitely in the larger organisations, yeah, they do look at a number of factors. So, uh, for example, in unfair dismissal, they will look at whether you've got internal HR support as part of their criteria. So just because the HR team have made an error, um, that's that will not, not be good enough right, to, okay. to defend, yep. you know, on, at least not by itself. Mm. Um, uh, another another part will definitely come into play, will, especially in unfair dismissal, will be um, the employee themselves. Um, the age, can they, and there's the other one. How uh, will they be able to get a, a, a similar position? A similar right, position, in another organisation. Another organisation, similar roles, similar salary. And there was a very interesting case um, involving Macquarie University. And... Uh, the payout was something around around six hundred and sixty thousand uh, dollars, um, and that look has been going for a while. But the very interesting part was there was a future economic loss element, Tom. Um, oh, and if it's right, yeah, that's not unusual, right? Mm. It's not unusual. But what's really unusual about this case was because it was decided during COVID, that future economic loss was actually considered in the context of COVID. So. Course, it would be more. Yeah, because question yeah. is, will the employee be able to get um, back into anything at, at any time? Is that job even going to exist? I suppose, and and the answer, of course, is no. They're going to have much diff- much more difficulty. Uh, yeah, yeah. Pretty, you know? Yeah, particularly in that that sort of industry in that space. Okay, yeah. so. I mean, there's obviously a number of key things. I mean, now my mind's just going, right, what, what have I got to implement? Because I'm pretty sure there's stuff I need to do. Um, but what is it that, that employers, I guess, need to start, if they're not looking at, what do they need to start considering? I guess and there's employment contracts and, and all those type of things. But where, where do they start to make sure they've got these sort of things, I guess, in line and in practice to help protect them and, and give their employees some comfort, I guess, and, yep. and that sort of thing? It depends on where they, where they are in the life cycle, uh, no doubt. Um, but it also depends on where they are in terms of, for example, COVID right now. So if you're in a situation where you've, you've you're relying upon JobKeeper, you've got JobKeeper two, um, it's it's uh, it's continuing, um, and you, you're sort of 
you're not quite sure what it's going to look like um, early next year, then there's no doubt that you're going to be starting to talk about um, your staff and your personnel, and you probably have. Yeah. So what I would suggest is you start talking um, to, you know, you start looking at looking at that situation. If you're on the board, executive, whatever position you are, and start actually strategizing that and planning that out and what that might actually look like. Because that will be pretty integral if you want to paint a redundancy picture. Because I guess that's going to play in. We've got people on JobKeeper, so they've technically right. still got a job, but there might not be anything to come back to at the end of March. So that's, that's where right. you've got to Yeah, okay. And look, there might be a soft a softer finish again. Like, you know, you might have a JobKeeper 3, for example. Um, yeah. But I'd say it'd be much more reduced. Yeah. Uh, in terms of pay. So again, it's going to put a lot more pressure again on organisations that were hoping to sort of keep this going for a bit longer. Yeah. So if you're in that position, you need to start putting uh, the building blocks now. And what I mean by that is planning it out. What does it look like in terms of, okay, firstly, financially, pay, you know, how much, what do you know, what's the payout, how long the employee's been there for, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Um, you know, look at the redundancy pay table. That yeah. will give you a a good indicator of where that's going to be at. So accounts teams and payroll teams should be onto that. Um, that's just, just one element. Uh, but I think the other element that people have to start really getting their heads around is what are the legal obligations then? So if you're going to start moving people on, whether it's redundancy, whether whatever it might be, let's, you know, let's actually set that out. So if it's consultation process, what's that going to look like? Yeah. How it's going to be done? Who's going to do it? Like actually plan that out. And if it's going to be around, and, and this is some of the other issues I've been swirling around, Tom, is the issue around managing performance. Yep. Um, a bit more difficulty. You've got people working from home, um, productivity challenges. You've got to go down. It's, if, if, it's, if it's performance, then manage that performance. All right? Yeah. Manage it. Yep. Um, if it's no, misconduct, yeah. yeah, have a show cause process. But you're still staying to the same, essentially the same principles, mm -hmm. but you've, you've got to really tighten it up. You've almost got to plan it out a lot more in advance. And if you're at the end where you've got to make the decisions now, okay, so you're really at the, the boiling point, okay, yeah. that's when you need to go, okay, well, at some point we need to, um, we need to even assume at some point a commissioner or a judge or even both will be looking at the documentation we prepared. So what will a judge or the commissioner will say about that? Mm. Will they will they see it in favour of, of yep. you or will they see it in the negative of you? And if, you, if the answer is in the negative, well, that needs to be fixed up. Yeah. And why would it, you know? And, um, and negative would be there's there's not enough, it's not clear, it's that's correct. ambiguity, those sort of things, yeah. Ambiguity, yeah. it might even be um, outright dishonest. Um, yeah. You know, those are types of things. You can't prove it, that's another one. So you may not be able to. So, for example, misconduct, you know, if you've, if you've just, you know, started terminating on the basis of, of serious misconduct but you don't have the, uh, yeah. the, the evidence to back that up, you haven't done an investigation, you know, you've got to, you've got to assume You've got to mm. assume right now that these claims are hot. You just got to assume it right now. Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. Yeah. And okay. keep in mind that these these damages might be a little bit higher now because of this future economic loss element. Yep. 
because of all the unknowns. So yeah, okay. Wow. So if we look at the 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 other side of this, so we're in okay, no more job keeper, things are starting to pick back up and, and yep. business is is good in, in there. Obviously, what what should we be looking at to I guess make sure we've got the right things in place under those scenarios as well, because it's all well and good for it to be rosy and, and happy and singing mm. along, and then everyone goes, oh, I don't have to worry about it anymore. But yep. you're still going to have these performance issues and re and um, restructures and redundancy. So what do we want to be putting in place regardless of, of COVID and, and where we're at? I think getting your basic building blocks together, okay? So um, the employment contract. So if you look at the pyramid of, of the way um, employment law documents work. Um, at the bottom of that pyramid, which makes the base essentially is legislation, right? Mm -hmm. So legislation, modern awards, we can't really change that, all right? Yep. That, that, you know, the only th re way we can change it is by, you know, voting new people in by a vote, but really as ourselves, it's, it's, it's very difficult, okay? So the next layer, uh, and maybe enterprise agreements are sort of um, in between because mm -hmm. Maybe there's some negotiation between yourselves and the union. But the next layer above that is really your uh, employment contract. So an employment contract is a binding document at the time it's being signed. So, you know, as long as that's sort of done um, at least to a good standard and you've covered off on some of the main issues, such as confidential information, covered off on restrained trade, you've covered off on, oh, you know, Thing. you've covered off on, on some of the modern award changes around annualised yep. salary, all that type of stuff, okay, you've got some decent in place, that's good. Um, and you don't want to have any sort of policy or anything like that embedded into that contract because okay. at that point in time, that's when it's formed. So the only way to vary that contract is by variation and both parties must agree to that variation. Very good. Okay. So usually it's varied every year, pay increases, for example, right? Yep. So that's the best time if you're going to vary the vary uh, the contract. Okay. Vary when when the time when when you you're naturally going to vary it anyway. Doing a pay review, you can make sure we've got the the new components in there or any changes yes. you want to make as an organisation. Yes. You agree to the pay change, so you're agreeing to to the new new requirements. Well, the next layer on top is your policies and procedures. Yeah. Right. Okay. So. Policy procedures, they're organic documents, okay? Yeah. They can be changed. They're, they're, they're not a right that's given to an employee. So as long as you've got that set out correctly in the employment contract, okay. it's, yep. not a right, it's not a right for an employee. It's really a right reserved for the employer to essentially this manage run business. That's yep. correct. You manage, this is really how I say it, <laughs> in some respects, the unwritten laws or the unwritten rules and and the common sense elements, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I embedded into policy procedures, but they're organic documents that can change whenever they whenever they needed to, um, as long as the employee actually knows mm -hmm. about the policy procedures, can actually access it, right? And when there's changes, they're told about those changes. Yep. So for some of those things, you might need training sessions, for example. Yep. Like yep. it might be something that's a bit more serious. Like, you know, for example, if it's if you're in a more manufacturing type mm. uh, clientele or a manufacturing type company, then of course, you know, workplace health and safety, you'll definitely need some training around that. Yeah. Okay. Around. Um, but that's the way you can change, um, you know, uh, 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 conduct uh, and, and also govern standards 
in the business without using the employment contract. Okay. You yeah. can use the policy procedures because then you can change them as you need. Yeah, because your contracts will reference that within the, with their structured right. That's correct. That's correct. Yeah. And, the, and they'll reference it as, as a contractual right for the employer, which is good, all right? Mm -hmm. And then you can use those policy procedures as you need. And hopefully you're not going to use it to, you don't want to use it to um, to beat people over the head or, over it, but really you want to have those standards set for all the employees. I think that's, that's the key element. I mean, mm -hmm. and that's comes down to you've got to have those levels of standards within the business of how people conduct themselves, what your expectations are, those type of things. And and some of that, as you said, is just pure common sense and decency in a lot of things. But I fear that some of that's taken advantage of at times as well if they're not documented well. Oh, absolutely. And, I mean, how many cases do we see around misuse of social media, um, mm. misuse of uh, company property? Um, and especially during COVID, and this is where we're going to see quite a number of cases is going to be this work-from-home scenario. So yeah. organisations that have work-from-home staff, um, yeah, you are going to see issues around, you know, fraudulent timesheets. You're going to see issues around, um, you know, injuries, injuries, workplace yeah. workplace injuries from home. Yeah, um, yeah there are going to be some significant problems. Um, mm. That's only starting to surface. So I think in the next couple of months, that's going to be potentially a much bigger beast to deal with. Okay. Well, we'll have a chat then because <laughs> I'm sure there's more coming out of it. It's, yeah, it's it's a little worrying. I mean, yeah, I can understand, but, yeah, there's, there's a lot more now that as business owners we have to sort of keep in mind not only trying to manage this situation with COVID, mm. how's the business going to look and financially and this, we've, there's probably this whole other component that we're not not necessarily expecting um with with what's potentially could come once things settle down a little bit i think yeah. i think you can almost foresee that that will be a major uh, talking point um and we'll see what happens with victoria um yep. in particular in, in terms of how they're going to get out of um the, the, their issues or their crisis um we'll see what happens when international travel um if when that yep. opens up how that sort of changes and of course, it all could be changed with the, the you know, the introduction of a vaccine. But even mm -hmm. with the introduction of a vaccine, I wonder if a number of organisations will still use work from home, um, you know, as part of that sort of agile workforce argument. Um, I think they will. That's my tip is I think the work from home scenario is is here to stay in a format of some type. Um, I think. What we're seeing, and obviously in our business, but also in clients, is that a truly flexible workplace. Yep. Um, okay, there's an expectation that you're going to come to the office two or three days a week, but you've got flexibility what those days are, what you need to do when you're going to work. And I think that's going to, I think, play play a big part and, and give employers an edge as well if they can deliver on that and give their employees that, that sort of differentiator. Yes. Um, yeah, so I think that's here to stay. I, I think you're absolutely right. I think um, how that's managed, I think that's going to be the difficulty or yeah. part of the difficulty. Yep. I know there's a number of organisations, especially in the tech scene or technology scene, that already do this, a lot of this already. But if you think about some of the organisations that have had to really move, really truly move to a, uh, a flexible mm. work, so proper flexible workforce, have traditionally been very archaic mm. um, in, in their design. Yeah. Um, 
So that they're going to experience these difficulties um, of uh, a clash of, uh, you know, maybe maybe culture in terms of, you know, and even building that culture. There may be some difficulty around that too. And I think there is going to be some friction um, around how this is going to be handled. And I think the ones that will do well and, and handle it well, um, I still think for those organisations, there is going to be, um, some issues around productivity, issues yeah. around, um, you know, serviceability. Like there will still be some issues that will flow on that, you know, well, needs like, to be work, work from home in that scenario doesn't oh, – my lights, they keep going off. <laughs> um, work from home doesn't work for every business. And that's yes. – that's a dis- and, and that's something I think that where that friction will potentially come from is because there will be this expectation from some employees going, well – they can work from home. Why can't I? Well, yep. as a business, this is how we operate. So it just doesn't support it that well. And I think there's going to be that and that needs to be needs to be made visible in that sense. But there's others where it works exceptionally well. So it is going to come down to and then that'll be an employee's choice whether they want to work for that employer or not. Yep. My, and I think that's where um, it needs to go to. Well, I think there's organisations right now, I mean, there's clients definitely some of our clients who have had staff that they've never met in person, in actual yep. person, um, yeah. yet they, you know, they're either in the same state or, you know, um, mm. very close by. Yeah. Um, that, that is, you know, my, my, what I would say around that, and this is one thing that I, I, and this is probably potentially going more into the HR realm, is the building of the culture. Mm. Is is that going to be a really big issue, um, and, and especially around training, uh, maybe yeah. junior, maybe junior staff or, or more more less experienced staff? Mm. Um, you know, how will that is 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 the stilted way? Because there is some stilted, there is oh, still some that stiltiness. No there. You can't, virtual. you can't. It is difficult to build culture remotely. Mm. Like very difficult. I mean, and we have a remote team. We've got teams overseas and things like that. And I've never met many of them face to face. Yes. Physically, obviously, mm-hmm. teams and the technologies there. But it is difficult to build that culture and express how we do things on either a bit of paper or a video chat. It's yeah. very different because you pick up if you're sitting physically next to someone, you pick up different. I'm going to go, you know, vibes and emotions by sitting there versus just looking at each other on a screen. So no doubt that is going to be a significant issue for, for many, um, if not all, to, to to keep those that culture in place. I mean, I just, I haven't read it yet. There was a notice. I mean, Microsoft have released a, a policy this week where everyone can work from home and wow. will continue to work from home, I think, forever, basically, is what they've allowed. But how they manage that is going to be very, very interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, yes, they're a big organisation. Yes, they have people all over the world already, but those teams do work quite closely together. And, and I'm wondering, I'm wondering, Tom, as well, so there's a culture element, but I'm also wondering what about the productivity numbers? Now, th- does that now mean that some organisations, and I'm thinking of particular organisations in, in, say, for example, banking or something like that, yeah. um, will they then now have to admit or accept that there's going to be some productivity deficit 
and the well, numbers okay. need to be revised. I necessarily and agree there would or be the a change, sorry, change in productivity. There will be a change, but mm. I mean productivity's got to be measured. So a lot mm. of a lot of the challenges that people have come up with is they've not been able to measure productivity even when people are sitting in the room. Yeah. So yep. they could they measure their productivity because they can see and ask very quickly. That's how yep. they they've measured productivity. So moving from home, moving to a remote workplace, I think there's been times where perception of productivity being lower because they can't see what's happening. But so you've got to move your your metrics front side to go, well, what do we actually need to measure? So you do have to get down to numbers in a lot of these instances. Yeah, and, and I think you're right. So if we do just nut it down to numbers, then you have that, then it goes back to the, the issue we were talking about originally. Mm. The culture issue does that correct, then correct? That's a different then, culture. That's right. Yeah, and and does that fundamentally change how how a team's run or an yep. organization's run or yeah. even the way it's structured? Even it, the way it it's does. completely structured, um, it, it, it does and it will. I think is is the answer. I think mm. you can't you can't manage. And this is what's the old age. You can't manage. You can't measure what you. Oh, what is it? You got to you got to measure what you manage. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I can't even. I don't know if that's exactly right, but yeah, okay. <laughs> the, the words are there, probably backwards. But you can't. I mean, as I say, you, you've got to have something as a baseline to go. Okay, how do we determine what it is that we're doing? Whether it's the number of transactions, whether it's the number of, I don't know. We use support tickets. We use customer satisfaction percentages. That's how we yeah. manage. So we can gauge based on what those numbers look like as to how effective our team are running. Um, it's a different. It is a very different culture in that because I don't necessarily see what they're doing to reflect that. Yes, I've, yes. Got, I've got to base my decisions on the numbers to an extent. Yeah. So it it is. It's a different management thought pattern, I think, and it's certainly a different culture thought pattern in a business. But it shouldn't dilute the the the. Um, it should it should be enhancing your culture. Use the numbers to enhance. Give them a driver, I guess. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I, oh, yeah, it's I, I interesting. And I think that's why technology organisations have really, in particular, have really um, done quite, they, they traditionally done quite well with yeah. agile and remote workforces, hot desking. Obviously, now you take away hot desking, essentially, because that's that's just not going to work really. And even if they are doing it, it's still awkward and you know <laughs> <laughs> it is you, you look at it in our office it's, did you wipe that down <laughs> did you wipe that no yeah. um, whose keyboard's this yeah <laughs> you know do you just take your keyboard around with you i don't know well again yeah that that's cha- another it changes a lot because lots of businesses moved to that pure hot desk structure didn't they so they redesigned offices to support it and now got to rethink that strategy Many large organisations do that in Brisbane. There's yep. quite a number of them. Yeah. Um, and, you know, there was even one in particular that did it right before COVID and, bang, it completely changed and the way. And so, that you know, instead of having about 100 staff, well, 100 staff in that office anyway, 50 desks, mm. first, first serve or whatever it is, yep. and then COVID hit, those 50 desks are now down to 20 or 25. You know, they're almost encouraging people you got to stay away. Yeah, you yeah. Gotta stay away. Yep. Right? Don't come in because we don't have a. We don't have physically don't have space for you. Yeah, don't have physically the space for you. Because that becomes that's part of your COVID safe plan, isn't it? Then you've got to 
people have to have their own. Yeah, yeah, interesting. Wow. And you, you look at some of this, the plans that were in place, um, the red and blue teams, A and B teams, you know, yeah. alternating weeks um, work really well until there was cross-contamination, people were coming in for two weeks. Yeah. Coming, yeah. I'm just going to walk, you know. And then, you know, as soon as one one's contaminated, bang, it takes out yeah. the whole team. Yeah. So, yeah. You fun know, times. Fun times ahead. Is it fun times? <laughs> oh, no, business I mean, is always fun, and there's always something for us to deal with. There is. That's right. I think. I think this is just a, it's a huge hurdle a business has to overcome. Um, and you know, you, you you look at how look. There's definitely some industries that are hit much harder, much yeah. faster. Travel industry, tourism industry, retail, and and um, hospitality. It's just the ones we can see. Obviously, there's yes. The, the, the big concern, I think, is is those that are on, I guess, being propped up by a JobKeeper um, who may not actually be there at the end yeah. of it. Yeah, the zombie businesses, yeah. The zombie business and what the flow-on effect that's going to have because – and that was the question I wanted to ask, sorry, back on the yep. – you've had these the, – the laws come in to say we can't um, – you can't go chasing debt and insolvencies yeah. and things like that to protect those businesses have there been any sort of protections put in place on the, on the employment side so employers can't get chased for unfair dismissal and things like that during this period or is this no it's still just open slather no and i don't i don't see how how it could work mm-hmm. if they did so um so if you know even if you just take it from a rudimentary political standpoint you know what why would they do that? You know, mm. it, it, you know, it it wouldn't make sense for their constituents to when there's already such huge job loss to to be able to do that. You know, yeah, um, to keep employers accountable, right? Mm. And that'll be the, the line. Um, then, from a perspective of you know, even even from the perspective of um, employment law itself, or the fundamental um, principles around employment law. Um, you do want some accountability from employers to put some steps in place, or at least have a think about what the what they're doing. Yep. Um, because if you go to like a sort of carte blanche system, um, you know, maybe and I hate to pick on them, but maybe Texas in, in, in the USA, where it's virtually uh, no rights um, or very little rights for for employees, um, or, or at least um, uh, a way to get um, some type of uh, uh, ratification, then I think that's you know that would be very very difficult to mm. uh, to sell. Firstly, to sell that, to pitch that to to the to the community as a whole, yeah. And secondly, to roll that out um, with such you know stakeholders such as trade unions. Who yeah. Would be yeah. Vi- and you remember that the last time there was any huge major reform, huge major reform around, around industrial relations was. Um, work choices, which ah, led yep. to the Right to Work campaign, um, which led to one of the biggest union campaigns, and probably you know we've probably never seen anything like that um, of all time, which essentially led to um, a Labor government. Um, yep. There are other elements, but that was one of the major elements. That was one of the main ones. Yeah. So you know it's a, it's a very difficult potato yeah. to play with because yeah. it's, it's very hot and it's hot all the time. Yeah. <laughs> that potato is bouncing everywhere. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yeah. Jonathan, mate, this has been this has been great. It's been been a really good chat. 
Um, I'm sure we could keep going, but uh, we've, we've probably got work we actually need to do. <laughs> um, so, mate, thank you very much for joining us. Now, how do people find you if they want to have a chat about employment law and looking at options for their business? How do they how do they get hold of you? Yeah, sure. Um, then give us a call at 07 um, check out our website at, at uh, www.lawyersforemployers.com.au or if, you, um, if you're if you inclined, you can uh, email me or check me out on LinkedIn. Um, so my email is Jonathan M, so it's J-O-N-A-T-H-A-N-M at nb-lawyers.com.au. Do not spell my name incorrectly. It won't go through. <laughs> Perfect, mate. We'll put these. We'll put these links in the uh, when we post this as well. It's been an absolute pleasure. Thank you very Appreciate much for coming on. And um, yeah, we'll speak soon. Thanks, Tom. Much appreciated. Thank you for listening to the Modern Workplace Hacks podcast. Hope you got some value. We'd really love for you to subscribe to the podcast or follow us on YouTube and LinkedIn. Look forward to bringing you some more episodes soon.